We meet today to introduce the book of Galatians. This is an introduction to Paul's epistle to the Galatians, Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia. What takes place when the gospel spreads from one culture to another? This is an important question, my friend. Usually, a conflict takes place. There is a clash of values and views, too often with damage to the cause of Christ and the spiritual well-being of the believers. Paul's letter to the Galatians shows that cultural conflicts began right from the start of the Christian movement. Cultural conflicts are not a new thing today. Why should that be? Well, Jesus told his followers to make disciples of all nations, according to Matthew 28, verse 19. Now, the Greek term for nations is ethne, which plainly means peoples or people groups. What we would call ethnic groups today, that's where we get that term, ethnic groups. In other words, Jesus on the whole commanded that his followers cross-ethnic, national, tribal, linguistic, and cultural boundaries, cultural lines to extend the gospel of salvation all over the world. In doing so, believers therefore need to consider certain important questions. The first one is, what cultural baggage do we attach to our faith? Do we make certain uh, postulations or assumptions about what Christianity ought to look like that are actually based less on biblical reasons than on cultural values and cultural expectations? It is likely that someone from a dissimilar background, a different background, might even serve the same Lord Jesus Christ, but do so in a way that feels uncomfortable to some people because of cultural differences. It may be true for you, it may also be true for me. Now, the book or the epistle that was written by Paul to the Galatians puts forward insight into these questions. It is a brief letter, but it offers a powerful message for today. Given our increasingly pluralistic communities, Someone has already put it in this way to say we now live in a global village. A few hours, one person from another part of the world would be on the other side of the globe and the interaction is continuing on a daily basis. Certainly there are conflicts. How should the children of God even deal with those cultural differences? What of? what we conceive to be the, the substance of the gospel, how far would we allow our cultural in leanings, our cultural baggages, our cultural preferences to interfere with the gospel message? As we are faced with diversity on every hand, the book of Galatians or the epistle to the Galatians reminds us to be clear about the essentials of the gospel and not to confuse them with the externals that really don't matter. 
And I think that's a wonderful thing to be able to do, especially in this our time. And I would like to believe that God will lead us into wonderful truths as we walk through the epistle to the Galatians. Now, Dr. McGee suggests that Paul actually wrote this epistle probably around A.D. 57 on his third missionary journey from Ephesus during his two years of residence there. Now, there is substantial basis, however, for the claim that it was written from Corinth shortly before Paul wrote the epistle to the Romans. There is a problem of dating, especially with the writing of the epistle to the Galatians. The problem centers around the relationship of the letter to the Jerusalem conference, which is around A.D. 49-50. to 50. Since both were concerned with the question of circumcision and Gentile salvation, since Paul does not mention the decision of the conference, some people feel that Galatians must have been written somewhere in between A.D. 48-49, to 49, after the first missionary journey and just prior to the conference. The major difficulty with that date is that it leaves very little time for the events discussed uh, to transpire. Others date the letter to the Galatians between A.D. 55 to A.D. 57, several years after the Jerusalem conference. This is based on the presupposition that Galatians chapter 2 verse 1 to verse 10 is actually a reference to the Jerusalem conference when Paul talks about uh, accepting the Gentile believers in Christ. This view assumes that Paul does not mention the apostles' decision on the circumcision because he is arguing that his doctrine is from God and not from men. Otherwise, if it was not the argument, he would have mentioned the Jerusalem conference. After Paul visited the Galatians, he discovered that the Judaizers had followed him and the churches were listening to them. Paul wrote this letter to counteract their message and to state clearly what the real gospel is. Well, there is still some debate concerning whether Paul's use of the term Galatia was a geographical or political reference. Some New Testament scholars still maintain that Paul referred to that area of North Central Asia Minor, which has been settled by the tribes from Gaul, the Northern Galatia theory, or the Northern Galatian theory. However, it is more likely that Paul was writing to a group of churches in what was the Roman province of Galatia, and that is what has come to be known as the South Galatian theory. This area of South Central Asia Minor includes the cities of Antioch, Iconia, Lystra, and Debe. And this is where Paul and Barnabas established churches on their first missionary journey, according to Acts chapter 13. Now, it seems more reasonable to suppose that this letter was sent to the churches in the area Paul had visited on his first missionary journey, 
but this does not preclude the possibility that it had a wider circulation, even as far as north as Pesinas, Ankara, and Tavium. Now, I am of the opinion that Paul was writing to all the churches of Galatia. This area was large and prominent, and many churches had been established there. Now, from that point of view, we see that he was addressing a number of churches. And so even the epistle to the Galatians becomes relevant to all of us because it is addressed to the church of Jesus Christ in the whole world. First of all, it was going to that Galatian area. Now, the word Galatians could be used either in an anthrographic sense, which would refer to the nationality of the people, or it could be used in the geographical sense, which would refer to the Roman province by that name. Regardless of the position which is taken, there was a common blood strain which identified people in that area where there was a mixture of population. The people for whom the province was named were Gauls, a Celtic tribe from the same stock which actually ended up inheriting France. In the 4th century BC, they invaded the Roman Empire and sacked Rome. Later, they crossed into Greece and captured Delphi in AD 280. They were warlike people and they were always on the move. At the invitations of Nicomedes, one king of Bithynia, they crossed over into Asia Minor to help him in a civil war. They soon established themselves in Asia Minor. They liked it there, and this could be a reference to these people who settled in that area. In AD 189, these Celtic tribes were made subject to the Roman Empire and became a province. Their boundaries varied, and for many years they retained their custom and language. The churches Paul established on his first missionary journey were included at one time in the territory of Galatia. This is the name which Paul would normally give to these churches. The Galatians, having launched their Christian experience by faith, seem content to leave their voyage of faith and chart a new course based on works, a course Paul finds very disturbing. So his letter to the Galatians is a vigorous rebuke, a vigorous attack against the gospel of works and a defense of the gospel of faith. So Paul starts by presenting out really his qualifications as an apostle with the message from God, not from man. Blessing comes from God and on the basis of faith, not on the basis of the law. The Lord declares men blameworth and detains them and imprisons them, makes them guilty. But faith, on the other hand, sets men free to enjoy freedom in Christ Jesus. But freedom is not permit, Paul says. Freedom in Christ means freedom to produce the fruit of righteousness through a spirit-led lifestyle. Through a spirit-led lifestyle. This letter which Paul wrote has a very special message even to us. There are some of us who still want to live by the law as if Christ 
has accomplished nothing through his death. Yes, the law saved its purpose, but Christ became the final culmination of the law. And in that, we are supposed to stick to Christ and find salvation. It has its place. The law has its place. But when it comes to our standing before God, it is coming to justification simply by faith. So this letter, which is very strong, and Paul has written it, he writes it to the Galatians, but he writes it also to us. We will learn out of this letter that it is a stern and severe, solemn message. It does not correct conduct as the Christian letters do. No, but it is a corrective. It is a corrective. The Galatian believers were in the grave danger of becoming Christians whose hope is based on works rather than on faith. That was a grave peril because the foundation of their faith were being attacked. Everything was under threat. The epistle, therefore, contains no word of commendation, praise, or thanksgiving. Unlike all of Paul's epistles, he would give a commendation, he would do praise. But this is not the case in the epistle to the Galatians. There is no request for prayer, and there is no mention of their standing in Christ. No one with him is mentioned by name. If you compare this epistle with the other epistles, you will see that this epistle is indeed different. So I say it is a stern, severe, and solemn message. Secondly, the message in this epistle, we find that the heart of Paul as an apostle is laid bare, is laid open before us. And there is deep emotion and strong feeling associated with this epistle. This is his fighting epistle. He has on his war paint. He has no toleration for legalism. And someone has said that the epistle to the Romans comes from the head of Paul, while the epistle to the Galatians comes from the heart of Paul. A theologian has said, Galatians takes up controversially what Romans puts systematically. That's a, an interesting thing to think about. And I'm sure some of these truths will reveal themselves when we are in that book, uh, looking at each individual verse for our study. The third observation concerning this epistle is that this epistle is a declaration of emancipation from legalism of any kind, of any type. It is interesting to note that legalists do not spend much time with Galatians. They would rather not read from that book. They would rather have it pulled out of the word of God because they want to keep to the law. But sorry, my friends, this is the word of God. This is what God has given us, and that is what we need. They refuse to spend time in this book because it is a rebuke to them. It is a straight, head-on rebuke, correcting their error. You see, yet this was Martin Luther's favorite epistle. He said, this is my epistle. 
I am wedded to it. What a statement. You see, it was on the masthead of the Reformation. It has been called the Magna Carta of the early church. It is the manifesto of Christian liberty, the impregnable citadel, and a veritable Gibraltar against any attack on the heart of the gospel. As someone put it, immortal victory is set upon its brow. Immortal victory is set upon the brow of this epistle. This is the same epistle that moved John Wesley. It is said that John Wesley went to America as a missionary to the Indians. But he made a startling discovery. He said, I came to America to convert Indians. But who is going to convert John Wesley? We are told that he went back to London, England, and he was converted. Then John Wesley went out to begin a revival, preaching from this epistle to the Galatians. That saved the whole of England from revolution and brought multitudes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, when this man who was self-righteous came to the claims of the word of God, reading this epistle, he discovered that he needed to be saved. And when God had changed his life, he began even to preach to his own people, not only pointing fingers at the Indians of America, but he began to see the need for England itself. He began to see the need in his own life. Are you pointing fingers, my friend? Are you always seeing the wrong in other people? The book of Galatians will actually look into your own heart. What is it that you are trusting? What is it? William Wilberforce, one of his converts, you see, William Wilberforce was a convert of John Wesley, had a great deal to do with the matter of child labor and the industrial revolution that brought about the changes for the working men. You see, the name William Wilberforce is always mentioned, attached together with the abolition of slave trade. But how did he become a convert? He became a convert through this man who had been touched and changed by the readings of Paul's epistle to the Galatians. Now, in a sense, I believe that this epistle has been the backbone and the background for every great spiritual movement and revival that has taken place in the past 2,000 years ago. And my friend, it will be the backbone for any other revival for other revivals to come. I would like to see the Spirit of God move in our land today. I would like to hear the epistle of Galatians declared to Africa. I believe it will revolutionize lives as it did for people in the past. It has touched me as well. The fourth observation concerning this wonderful epistle is that Galatians is the strongest declaration and defense of the doctrine of justification by faith. Out of scripture, that is the strongest declaration. So it is God's polemic on behalf of the most vital truths of the Christian faith. But that is a polemic against any attack. Not only is a sinner saved by grace through faith, plus nothing, but the saved sinner lives by grace. Grace is a way of life and a way to life. You see, 
These two go together. By the way, they go together. The way to life and the way of life. And that is what grace does. So the book of Galatians talks about the grace of God as opposed to those who want to stand before God in the merit of the law. Now here is Dr. McGee's suggested outline to the book of Galatians. Actually, Dr. McGee divides the whole book into four major sections, four major sections. The first section is just chapter 1 to verse 1 to verse 10. And then the second section is chapter 1, verse 11 to chapter 2, verse 14. The third one is chapter 2, verse 15 to chapter 4, verse 31. Then the fourth one is chapter 5, verse 1 to chapter 6, verse 10. And the fifth division is chapter 6, verse 11 to verse 18. But let me put flesh to the outline. The first section is actually the introduction. So in that section we see the salutation or the cool greeting in chapter 1 verse 1 to verse 5. Then the subject why Paul had written is stated. There is also warm declamation. Chapter 1 verse 6 to verse 10. The second section is the personal bit. And it is talking about the authority of the apostle and the glory of the gospel. So we see Paul speaking of his experience in Arabia, chapter 1, verse 11 to verse 24. Paul also goes on to speak of his experience with the apostles in Jerusalem, making a reference to Acts chapter 15. And this is in chapter 2 verse 1 to verse 10. Then finally, Paul speaking personally of his experience, he speaks of his experience in Antioch, now with Peter. That is in chapter 2, verse 11 to verse 14. The third section of the outline is the doctrinal one. The first is introduction, the second is personal, and now the third is doctrinal. We see here justification by faith. We see justification by faith. Faith versus works, liberty versus bondage. Now, chapter 2 verse 15 to verse 21 is justification by faith. That doctrine is stated. And then chapter 3 verse 1 to verse 5, justification by faith. The experience of the Galatians is also revealed. Justification by faith. We see the illustration from the life of Abraham. And that is in chapter 3, verse 6 to chapter 4, verse 18. Justification by faith. We even have the allegory of Hagar and Sarai. And that is in chapter 4 verse 19 to verse 31. Then the fourth section is a practical section. We are looking at sanctification by the Spirit. There we see the Spirit versus the flesh, liberty versus bondage. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 15, it is revealed that we are saved by faith and living by law, by the way, actually, perpetrates falling from grace. 
saved by faith and walking in the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. The famous Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 to verse 26. Then you have saved by faith and the fruit of the Spirit presents Christian character. Christian character seen in chapter 6 verse 1 to verse 10. And the final section, which is autobiographical, autobiographical. The first section is introduction, second personal, third doctrinal, fourth practical. And finally now, the autographed conclusion that we see here. Paul's own handwriting is introduced in chapter 6, verse 11. Paul's own testimony, chapter 6, verse 12 to verse 18. And of course, he talks of the cross of Christ versus circumcision, verse 12 to verse 15. Then Christ's handwriting on Paul's body, chapter 6, verse 16 to verse 18. The new circumcision of the new creation expounded in this section. So, in a way, you can tell that this epistle is a heated, vigorous, uncompromising defense First of Paul's own authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it is also a defense of the gospel of the grace of God. It is directed against the insidious inroads of the Judaizing teachers who were denying the all-sufficiency of Christ's atoning work of salvation. And these were demanding that the Galatian converts be circumcised to observe and they must observe the Mosaic law. My friend, are you enslaved in sin? You can be a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You can become an heir of the promise and become free. Are you trapped in legalism and trying to earn favor with God by doing good and being good? Do not be burdened again by a, a yoke of slavery. Stand firm and be free in Christ Jesus. Are you not so sure how to channel the energy from your newfound freedom? Use your freedom to save others with love. This is the message, my friend, that the Apostle Paul has to share with the believers in the Galatian territory and the churches that were there. It is a message for you and me, and it is a wonderful, glorious message. Channel the energy of your newfound freedom by serving others with love. Instead of being burdened by the yoke of slavery, stand firm and free in Christ Jesus. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for, and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org